Get ready to experience the pulse of the outdoor community as we dive into the stories of people's journeys into the outdoor world. Hello and welcome back from my short hiatus. I was working on some back-end stuff and figuring out where I want to take this all exactly and figuring out what other content I want to add in as I go forward. But we are back to releasing our weekly episodes of the guests and their stories. So this is going to be continuing on again. Probably do it in sets of 10 like this and kind of take a look at things. So that's what you have to look forward to. We have some really cool episodes coming up in the future. So looking forward to a bunch of really awesome stories to share with you guys and getting back into it. So we'll just jump right into it and here we go. Hello, welcome to the Outdoor Pulse. I'm your host, Mitch Dean. Today we have on Justine Mollier and she is a life and small business coach and she's worked in the outdoor industry for 10 years about. So how's it going? Yeah, great. How are you? Going great. Going great. Can't complain. <laughs> Where are you located right now? Uh, I'm out in Denver. So oh, nice. Denver, Colorado. So, and you are in? I'm in Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. Beautiful area. Mm -hmm. I need to get out there, I've been told. So, um, so we're just going to dive right in though. And we're cool. going to start off with kind of how you first got into the outdoor community and what the kind of draw was uh, from the beginning. Uh, just how you kind of started your journey and where that kind of began at for you. Yeah, um, so I was really fortunate to grow up between Atlanta, Georgia, and France. Um, my whole family is French. I grew up in both countries, and um, so Atlanta is quite a green place to live, um, depending on where you are, and so I always had like a big backyard and access to forests, and I just remember spending a lot of time just losing myself in our backyard, basically, and then also growing up in France, you have like the coast, the mountains, the countryside. Um, it's a really small country when you think about it. So like everything's accessible. And I just grew up being in the mountains a lot. And um, over time, I just got really obsessed with the Alps. So like that's where I had to live for a fair amount of time. Um, and I was always a really passionate kid about the outdoors. And I got really fixated on skiing and snowboarding at a young age. And basically when it came time to figure out like, oh, like, what are you going to do? And where are you going to go to college? It was like, I'm going to go snowboarding five days a week, preferably, so I can work in the industry. Um, and that's yeah. how I ended up at U University of Vermont. And it just kind of like all, it was like passion and figuring out how to be able to honor that and then go from there. Gotcha. So you grew up in between Atlanta and uh, France. So kind mm -hmm. of a mix. That's pretty cool. So yeah. So you said that you got into skiing and snowboarding pretty young then, and you're, yeah, lucky, and you're one of the lucky ones that got to grow up skiing in the Alps, it seems like, so. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I started skiing when I was two, um, and so we were really lucky to be able to go every year. My grandparents had bought an apartment in, an, in a ski area, like, as it was just starting off, um, so we kind of always had that as a base, and we'd go back every year, and that's how we saw our family was, like, on a ski holiday with all the cousins and all of that, um, and then... I like progressively just got to be a better skier. And then when I was 13, you know, the rebellion stage, like, oh my God, snowboarding is so cool. Yeah. Um, 
so I learned how to snowboard and then I pretty I've only skied once since switching to snowboarding when I was 13 so so snowboarding kind of taking over <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah. so um from there so that was kind of like your childhood uh did you do much uh so once you got into college or did you go to college or did you just kind of or you said that you went up to Vermont mm-hmm. awesome yeah, where'd you go I, up there uh, so I attended University of Vermont and I studied in the Rubenstein School of Environment and Natural Resources, um, parks, tourism and recreation management. So kind of the outdoor recreation program yeah. that they have there. Um, pretty strong on environmental sciences and studies, which I liked in particular. Um, but what was awesome with UVM's program is just the amount of connections it had already to the ski industry. Um, I had the chance to intern with Ski Vermont, which is kind of like a nonprofit tourism board that helps promote the ski areas there. Um, I got to work with Rome Snowboards. Um, I was offered a job with Burton as a customer service rep, um, like everybody else graduating from UVM. So um, it was a really great way of kind of getting my feet wet in the industry. I worked at Stowe. I worked with Cabot Cheese, handing out cheese slices on the mountain. So um, I was also the president of the Ski and Snowboard Club there. So like I was quickly weaving a t- like weaving a web of contacts in the outdoors yeah. industry. Um, because Vermont's a great place to do that for the East Coast. Gotcha. Uh, so skiing in Vermont, I've, I grew up skiing in Ohio in small oh, bump. Cool. And then I, I've only really been there and then came out West. I've wanted to do some of the skiing up there in the East. How is it up there? Uh, they don't call it the ice coast <laughs> for nothing. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it has a really rich culture of like mom and pop, you know, ski areas, uh, many of which I guess aren't really around that much anymore, but um, there, it's a diehard community, you know, people take it very seriously, like, you know, you have people's favorite mountains, like, you know, very similar to Colorado, like, you have people that go to all the way to J Peak, or people that are like Sugarbush diehards, or um, the, the community is super rich, and, you know, in terms of terrain, like, yes, it's not out west, but if you get really good snow, I mean, I remember some epic pow days, like, I once was at Bolton Valley in for their night skiing with like two feet of pow, which was nuts. Um, but how get, have you liked this skiing in Colorado? Um, I've only been out here for trips so far. This is going to be our first mm. full full season out here because I just moved out here uh, in cool. May. So I'm looking forward to actually having mountains like so accessible Proper. for once. Yeah. So really looking forward to that. And it's going to be a good time because I mean, Long term, definitely want to get into backcountry skiing, things like that. Mm. But this first year, kind of just enjoy it and go as much as I can. So, yeah, well, you came to the good place for that, yeah. for sure. So in college, you said that you were the president of the Ski and Snowboard Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did, did uh, and then the other connections to you were talking about that. How did that all kind of help you? Uh, kind of getting out of college and uh, with that next step after that and where did that kind of lead? Totally. So uh, the UVM Skiing Snowboard Club is one of the biggest ones in the country. We I think had at one point like 5,000 members out of an 11,000 person campus um, and, and so that's a pretty big percentage like when you think that Greek life was maybe 900 people we were really proud of that stat. Um, but so technically we kind of had quite a bit of power when it came to the ski areas so we always negotiated on behalf of our members, you know, contracts with Stowe and Sugarbush and Bolton and J Peak to get, you know, uh, student discounts on lift tickets and on season passes and on gear rentals and things like that. So 
we were pretty heavily sought out by companies, you know, like Orage or um, like even movie premieres. We were hosting all the big ones in the Northeast. Um, we were invited IF3 a bunch. So we kind of were the, the connection between brands and companies to members um, and their uh, consumers. So that in itself was a great position to understand the business end of the skiing industry. If you know who they're targeting and why, um, you know, a lot of us were reps for Red Bull or Monster as well. So it was like slowly becoming yeah. just like a, a web of connections. And that, in addition to being able to intern places, it just really gave me a really solid foundation for understanding the U.S. skiing and snowboarding industry. Um, we also hosted a bunch of events. We had a pretty decent budget to be able to do rail jams and, you know, trips to Mont Tremblant in Canada or out to Jackson Hole every year. Um, so it kind of gave me, it got my feet wet in a lot of the events planning and strategic thinking. Um, and then once I started getting those tools and that skill set, I was like, okay, I want to work for the X Games. Like if I'm going to turn this into a career, yeah. I need to have the biggest name under my belt because I'm competitive. And so, um, so that's pretty much why I moved to the Alps, not just to fulfill my longtime dream of living out there, but um, the X Games were happening in Europe at the time in Tignes which is the resort next to where I was living. And so I was like, okay, I've got all this experience. I understand the industry. I'm fluent in French. I understand the culture. I'm going to go find a way of working for ESPN in the Alps. Um, and so that's kind of like how I decided to move into my professional career as, gotcha. as an events planner. So before moving on with that, uh, in, so that college kind of experience, was there uh, any kind of like uh, – kind of like moment where like you knew that that was definitely where you're going to go was there like a trip or anything that was like this is definitely something that I want to make like my life or like a moment yeah um it's funny you bring that up because I came in college of arts and sciences completely undecided studying political science because I thought I was going to work for the French embassy I guess um that wouldn't have worked out really well um, but I remember a friend of mine telling me that he was doing a minor in recreation management. And I was like, what the hell is that? And he was like, well, I want to work in the snowboarding industry. I'm majoring in business, doing a minor in this thing. And I was like, Ooh, this is it. Like, this is the business future professional piece that I've been looking for. Um, and once I kind of like made the switch and then I think that combined with pre the first rail jam that I organized when I became um, on the, the board of directors or whatever, the skiing and snowboarding club, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I love events. I love the pressure, the intensity, the planning, the collaboration, everything. Just like I, I had found my spot. Um, yeah. And I think combining those two was just like everything clicked into place. And I was like, this is, this is how I'm going to make this happen. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so after that, you said that you moved over to the Alps and how did you uh, get, so you got your start over there in the X Games, you said, and working that? Yeah, so I pretty much did what a lot of us do. I moved to a town where I knew no one and hoped or assumed I would figure it out. Um, speaking the language, obviously very helpful. I do have a passport, which means that I can work in France. So there was like a lot of things that made this much easier than it would have been for you know someone else in a different position. Um, I basically harassed people until I got a job working at a ski shop part time, because um, you know work hard, play hard. So I was like, well, yeah. I want to get like a hundred days this season, and I want to figure out how I can build my my career. 
Um, and I just kind of let it be known to every single person I met, I'm going to work for the X Games. French people being, you know, who they are, were like, ha ha, good luck with that. You know, <laughs> there, there's not as much belief in the hope or the American dream as there is out yeah. here. Um, but I basically just like kept figuring out who I needed to talk to, to potentially ask to even just volunteer. Um, and I finally harassed the right person um, and figured out, you know, in the chain of command who I needed to talk to. Um, kept explaining that I was just looking to volunteer. I was looking for experience. These were the skill sets that I had. This is what I had under my belt. And then eventually I found, um, I was hired on by the French team of the resort to help with some of the translation that needed to happen on the ground. Um, and then it kind of went from there. I applied for a full-time position with ESPN. I went to visit the people I had worked with. I kept in contact. I kind of nurtured those relationships. Yeah. Um, I went, I went to Bristol, Connecticut to see them applied for a job, got denied. Um, cause I was like, so underqualified, you know, I was the youngest person that was applying, but they were like, Hey, you should do what you do for us with other people. You should basically sell your services as like a liaison between teams in the Alps because French people are hard to work with, which is true. <laughs> um, and that's kind of, they, they were the ones that were like, Hey, be a contractor, work in, you know, Barcelona, Munich and Tignes for us. And then just like build your book of business. And that's kind of what I did. So you were a liaison between like the French team and other people. And that's how you kind of like, that's kind of where that kind of went after that. Yeah. I, I figured out how to make myself useful, which I think gotcha. is like the single biggest piece that I took away from that part of my freelance career was I was pretty, I mean, I love people. That's why I'm a coach now. Cause I like love feelings and love watching people and all of that. So I was pretty good about looking around at the infrastructure and the organizations that existed and seeing where there were holes. So every time I worked for a new client, I would get hired on for something specific and then exam, you know, examine and be like, oh, like they're, they're lacking this, they're missing that. Like maybe I can fill in those holes or I know someone who could fill that in for them. So it was really about kind of figuring out how I could be useful to then yeah. continue to be hired on by my clients and then have them recommend me to other people too. That's awesome. So you started off doing that and then, so that kind of led after that because I don't really know too much about like uh, coaching and like all that. <laughs> and like, so I'm just trying to get a feel for like how this led into that career for you. Totally. There. So like, this seems like quite a <laughs> random path. Yeah. yeah. And it, it kind of was. So, you know, uh, I've built my business. Things are going well for the most yeah. part. Um, except I was really miserable. Like, go figure. So 22 year old me knew what my, I wanted my life to look like freelancing, snowboarding all the time, living in the Alps, like having a community, you know, I was working on the biggest events in Europe, like Nine Nights, Nine Queens, X Games, like Frosted Invitational, Beanie Invitational, like, you know, I could name drop like the best of them. And uh, I wasn't particularly happy. Um, you know, the ups and downs that come with events for me didn't feel good. So like, you're on a high, you're like making this thing happen. And then the next day, the event is over and you go back to your normal life. It kind yeah. of like, gave me a lot of whiplash that way. Um, there wasn't much of a freelance community for me to be a part of. So it felt really lonely for a lot of it. 
Um, and I just like realized that I wanted to have a bigger impact. I wanted to help people more than help Red Bull and Monster spend their millions of dollars in marketing budget. Yeah. Um, so I kind of did some, you know, I had a, what some people call a spiritual awakening or an emotional breakdown. And I was just really like, okay, this isn't making me happy anymore. What do I need to do? How do I need to make this evolve for it to feel fulfilling? Um, and I did an outward bound educator course. So I spent three months in the backcountry um, in the San Juan Islands and in the Mazama, um, Washington and in, in like the Natal Valley and learned how to be an outdoor educator because I thought that that's what I wanted to do. Like bringing people into the outdoors, making it accessible, making people feel comfortable. And ultimately I didn't go that route, but I worked with a coach, a coactive coach. Um, a little while later, after taking yet another marketing position, because clearly I hadn't learned my lesson. Um, and within like three sessions, I, I like knew that I was going to leave my job and I knew why. And I knew that I wanted to be a coach that this was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Like, yeah. I want to help people become their badass version of themselves. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse. Yeah, of um, course. Right. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, so it was really through like realizing that something felt unaligned in me, that I felt off, that I should be, you know, people are like, you're living the dream. And I'm like, am I? Cause this feels awful. Um, it, it kind of took that moment to be, to reinvestigate and kind of start digging around again to be like, oh, actually I'm missing something. And, and coaching really filled that void because now I get to help other people become who they've always wanted to be yeah. simultaneously doing that with myself. Yeah. So do you mainly work since you've been working obviously in the outdoor industry side of things throughout your career? So you were freelancer, like working with all that. And now you're helping other people with in the outdoor community, I'm guessing. So you're probably specialties in the outdoor community. I'm guessing. like, yeah. Okay. So it, it just inadvertently happened that way. Like I'm really drawn to adventurous and creative people by nature. Um, and there's a lot of us out there in the outdoors industry for a lot of us, like our currencies are freedom time. And of course, like security. Um, and I love the challenges that freelancers face specifically in terms of taking themselves seriously, in terms of building their business, in terms of dealing with the inner critics, in terms of even just explaining what freelancing is to people who are used to corporate world, navigating the outdoors industry, navigating connections, building, you know, a life that looks and feels like you, like there's a very specific ecosystem um, in the outdoors industry with freelancers and creatives and, uh, and even people working full-time jobs, um, just trying to like tinker away and making sure that it feels right to them. Um, it's a, it's a really fun environment for me i just i love it <laughs> yeah I, I definitely feel that because i i'm pretty new in the outdoor like sphere of creatives and starting this podcast and everything but it's been awesome so far and just all the people that i've gotten to meet and learning all the new skills and learning all the different things and it's always something new every single day and it's always kind of like dynamic and not like stagnant i would call it which is how I kind of felt before starting this and everything. So, yeah. And what you're doing is super courageous, right? Like you're here just being like, I'm just going to get this thing done and I'm going to try and I'm going to learn and I'm going to probably make mistakes and it's going to be awesome. And I'm connecting with people like 
that's the kind of energy I love about the sphere that we're in is we're rewarded for our adventurous spirit. And I feel like that's across the board. I mean, with outdoor industry or like the outdoor community in general, I mean, just every community that I've been a part of in the outdoors is always, everyone's very helpful. It's always dynamic. Everyone's always doing something. Someone's going to try something different, try a new trip. They invite you on this, that, or the other. And it's just a, it's an interesting group to be a part of. I mean, I, I will say compared to just like your normal, like sports teams and things like that, mm -hmm. the outdoor community is just seems a little bit of like a misfit crew missed the time would be the best yeah. way to put it because in college I was part of the Mountaineers at Ohio State which was the big outdoor group there and everyone was different it was just this weird group of people that just love being outside <laughs> yeah and I mean obviously there has been a reckoning in the outdoors industry of it of us questioning like well to what extent are we actually inclusive or accessible or a welcoming place and um and while there's clearly still so much work to do I think because part of adventure is discovery and reflection and learning and growth. Um, I think uh, an environment like this one means that it'll, we have no choice but to evolve because yeah. that's part of what we're drawn to. Um, and so for me, I have a lot of hope about where people are taking the outdoors industry and how we are making it accessible for more people because I think that's an extension of a lot of the things that we value already. Yeah, and the big thing about making it accessible is half the time just people don't even realize that it exists because, mm. I mean, I didn't get into climbing until I was introduced to it kind of through college. And, you know, if I never would have ran into it, I never would have probably pursued going after that. Skiing, I already knew kind of was going to be a thing, but it wasn't as much of an adventure, I guess, for me because I was skiing in the Midwest still and like I only had my one ski trip out west every year. So it wasn't like, my big thing climbing was one of those things I could do every single weekend and get outside and you know watch my grades slip all all fall semester right. and then be like okay I should probably take a few weeks off and focus on that but it was one of those it was that thing that and at least for me everyone in the group was very um, willing to help and it was such a diverse community at least the Ohio State Mountaineers was and I, I definitely think that most of the community, as long as someone's willing to ask, they're more than willing to kind of offer their two cents, offer their help, and help someone get into the outdoors. I mean, that's kind of what we're all about. Totally. And I think you bring up a really valid point in terms of like modeling and role modeling. And like, we, we have to kind of make that extra effort sometimes, like either to get the courage to ask or have the courage to ask and welcome someone. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really lucky in that sense. Uh, my dad was always really outdoorsy. It, we went camping a bunch as children, but it wasn't until seeing my sister, who was kind of one of the only female raft guides on the new, like three years in a row, um, and she would climb all the time. Like it was really seeing it being modeled to me yeah. as another woman um, to be like, oh, actually that is, that is like totally doable and with totally within my sphere. Um, and sometimes we just need that extra push of like, to be what you see um for yeah sure. new new river's beautiful too so that's mm. i i climbed there a decent amount yeah i i being in columbus my two closest places were new river gorge and red river gorge so oh nice that it was we we were pretty lucky with what we had on the east coast it's not 
West Coast multi-pitch climbing, but you got the amazing single pitch climbs down there at the Red and the New. That just and you can deep water solo at the New, which is oh, nice. something that's hard to find even around the world unless you go to like Mallorca or something like that in Spain. So it's it's pretty cool to have that kind of that close to um, Columbus. So so um, what was I saying before? I was bringing up the fact that. Um, people sometimes just need that push and yeah it's it's definitely one of those um, also just taking that first step and watching someone then uh, kind of get over that fear of starting something new because the outdoor is another part of it that I feel like is a little bit which I don't know if you think this too but it can be a little bit intimidating you're going out into this massive environment that you know that like you've seen stories like someone died climbing or someone died in an avalanche and you're like I don't know if I just want to get try that out for the first time by myself. And <laughs> I feel like there's definitely a little bit of an intimidation factor for some people. And um, that's actually partially, I mean, part of why I'm doing this podcast is just to share everyone's stories because we all have such unique, awesome journeys to where we are now in the outdoor community, but also to show people that there is no one path. It's all, we all got into it in such a random way, usually in, just show that it's definitely possible and just not as hard as you think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I totally can echo that for sure. I think that's something that I realized a little bit later. Um, I always had, you know, I'm quite a tomboy and uh, especially in college, you know, there is a scene, you know, the, you know, freestyle skiing, snowboarding, yeah. whatever, um, you know, you're part of, you're part of it. And then it's only really when I would move to the Alps, when I, realized just how few women I was interacting with regularly, you know, whether that was in the backcountry or even just um, like on the slopes. And it took me a while to realize like I was almost, um, that I wasn't being necessarily a good role model. I wasn't bringing women into the sport. I wasn't, you know, insisting on, on bringing somebody who maybe was intimidated or scared or was afraid of holding up the group. Um, and that's something that I really strive for um, now, especially is like, I personally see it as my responsibility to bring people in when they want to, um, come in and just see this as a great moment to help make something more accessible to people. Um, because you're right, there's like such a stigma sometimes around like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't start this until I was like 14 or I didn't start this until I'm, you know, I didn't start doing this until I was like 27. Like I'm now learning, I'm trying to learn how to whitewater kayak and I'm 31 and I'm awful. And <laughs> I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by, you know, both men and women who are just super down to let me fail and try. Um, and I just think we can get so into our heads about what we should be like, especially in an industry that does kind of have like a code of conduct and yeah. a certain, you know, uh, embodiment. Um, and I think it's important for us to like continue to be willing to not just make asses out of ourselves, but like bring people into a space where it's okay to make asses out of ourselves yeah. learning. Yeah, and at least for me, I was lucky enough at Ohio State with the Mountaineers and just the climbing community there. I, I was lucky enough pretty much every single weekend if you wanted to go. I remember I was like brand new. It's like, I, I want to go, but I don't have like the rope or the quick draws, but I have my harness and on the buy gas and this and that. And someone would always say, yeah, sure, come along. Well, we got you. And that kind of I think it, I, I don't know if it's that way other places, but I was very lucky to have 
a community that was willing to teach and get like newbies into it mm. um i think i remember the big thing that they did every year it's called the big free climb where a bunch of people with gear bring their ropes and stuff down and then a bunch of new people that have never climbed outside have like rental gear and things like that and they're going outside for their first time and you're just getting people out on the rock and watching them grow and uh watching their eyes kind of like explode and like then seeing them <laughs> at the wall after that every single week because they're just hooked you just watching people get hooked is kind of cool it's one of those things yeah. that um once you start getting new people into outdoor sports, it's one of those things that's just awesome to watch. And a little well, bit sad because you, you watch them drop their money just like you did. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah. you did the same thing I did. There goes, <laughs> there goes all the gear. <laughs> totally. Well, and I was going to say what I think is awesome is like you're obviously paying it forward. And that's what a lot of us do, right? We, we remember what it's like to feel like the outcast or to feel yeah. really shy and, and be like, well, I want to go. But like, does anyone even want to go with me? Like, am I going to hold you back? Like, that's something that I've really had to work on is I have to trust people when they say like, no, like you're not too slow to do that. Like, no, I don't worry about you dying. Like you're going to be fine. Um, so like paying it forward as well, I think is like a really big part of, um, and I think an even bigger part now of the industry too. Gotcha. So, so far in your outdoor industry experience what's been your some of your favorite uh experiences i guess so far that have kind of shaped kind of who you are in the outdoor sphere <laughs> mm. oh that's like a that's a tough one um i mean the first thought that like flashed through my head was when i had my first uh name coded walkie-talkie for espn i was like oh my god I've been like waiting my whole life to hold this walkie-talkie with yeah. my name on it. Like I felt like a really big deal. Um, I just remember fiber optic cables being sliced by the snow, the snow cats and having to dig trenches in a snowstorm before going live on TV. That was another fun one. Um, I don't know. I, I've loved, I really loved just seeing clients of mine building their businesses like it makes me so pumped when you know i have clients who are really focused either on like sustainability or social justice or and who are like getting after it and making space for themselves in the industry and making and helping brands change the way that they do things like i just i think for me it's just like seeing all of the little ripples that are starting to take shape or that have been taking shape and and knowing that the more of us who are fulfilled, like the more we can continue to fulfill other people. Um, yeah. That's not really answering your question. I, I'm having like very <laughs> strange bursts of memories, but, um, and then pow days, that's like also what's coming into my head. Um, yeah. A lot of good memories in this industry for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That's a kind of a loaded question. I felt like a little <laughs> bit, but I didn't know if you had like a, cause some people have that like specific moment that they're like, mm. that was it. That was my moment. But I, I, at least for me, it's been just a combination of literally everything. I mean, every time I go outside, I feel like there's another experience I can put onto that, like into that bucket that I consider that obviously some people have the more extreme moment, but Mm. mine's just kind of been I can't really I'm, I'm the same way with not being able to point out a specific like that's the one that's whatever it's just been kind of always kind of like a part of my existence yeah <laughs> at least and since that, at least since college so 
that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like sometimes the book is so thick that I can't even pick out like one specific page. But I guess as you were talking about that, so I was living in a town called Val which hosts, you know, a lot of FIS ski races and it's next door to Tigny. But it's a 45 minute drive from the town where the train arrives and tr crossover day. So when tourists leave and when they come in is Saturday. So you have like on big weekends, like 150,000 people going up this like very windy switchback thing. So it's Christmas Eve and it's a Saturday and a tourist bus has flipped over at the bottom of the road. So people can neither leave nor come. And we got three and a half feet of snow in one day. And because it's a Saturday and no one has ski tickets for Saturdays except for locals. And because everyone was stuck on the roads, we just got to lap some of the steepest like inbounds terrain where it was snowing so heavily. And it was just like the most beautiful like Japal type snow. Um, it was just like filling itself in. We took yeah. like maybe 15 laps. We were, I was dead like for days. <laughs> after but we just couldn't we couldn't stop and it was like with a great crew of people um and i felt like yeah it was like the solitude the unexpected solitude of a massive snowstorm that you have to yourself and i think that's probably like one of the most magical days that i had in a while yeah yeah that's awesome i've not had i mean i guess the biggest day that i've had was out in copper out here in colorado and we got like 18 inches in two days but three feet and like having it all to yourself must have been like special <laughs> yeah it, it really was and that was one year my first year there we had only 18 days of sunshine the entire season because it snowed pretty much every day it was like the la nina of europe um yeah gotcha. I, i've been very fortunate which is why living in bend now i'm like volcanoes hmm. okay because <laughs> i'm a total snob yeah, yeah. So I guess, I don't know if there's any other questions specifically that I have. Um, is there anything that you kind of want to talk about or kind of dive into specifically with your experiences? Um, uh, I guess I can't help but like want to speak to people either trying to break into the industry or like building their businesses. And I think for me, like the big thing I love telling people is like, just looking at their business or as their path into this industry, the same way that they do any other adventure. Like you have your kit, your tools, you have your backpack or whatever it is. And like, this is a journey. And I really encourage people to like know what they're actually working towards and being really in tune with what it is that they want. Because even though the outdoors industry is all about freedom, there's still, there's still a lot of shoulds in this space, right? Like, oh, I should want to work in marketing. I should want to do this, or I should want to work for these brands or whatever it is. And I think I just really like encouraging people. I mean, my clients especially, but encouraging people to like get clear on what you actually want and don't let yourself get too deterred from that. Um, I don't know. That's like all I can really, I mean, I'm all about like, find your vision, find your path, then let's go. So yeah. I can't help but get sappy. So uh, for you, um, coming from like an outdoors person, we, I know that we all have our like dream vacation, dream trip. Mm -hmm. um, what would yours be? Um, so I have a summer, can I have a summer dream and a winter dream? Yeah. Okay, great. Of course. 
So, I mean, yeah. Um, so I think uh, I grew up riding horses a lot, yeah. uh, rodeo style, all of that. So um, one of my long, like one of my long held dreams has been to horseback ride the length of Argentina. Um, so being like spending basically months in Patagonia, if I can, just like following the mountain range, I think would be my summer dream. And then my winter dream would probably be, I mean, cat skiing in BC or heli skiing in Alaska or, uh, sailing through Norway in the winter, but that's already been done, but yeah. Those sailing kinds. through Norway in the winter, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Right. And like hitting, hitting backcountry, like touring in and out of fjords. Why not? Like snowboarding down to the sailboat. I think that would be pretty awesome. It'd be crazy with the snow too and the cold. Um, right. I guess I never even thought about that. So um, I guess how would sailing in the winter, I guess same as summer. I mean, I guess it's the same thing, just more warm gear. Because I'm not big into, so. I'm not into sailing at all, so I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I was, I it went in my head when I'm like, I would be sailing and be like, I'd be on someone's sailboat, and <laughs> they're in charge of getting us there. Yeah, I think I forget who did that, but there's like a a couple. I think it was some pros have done that, and they've like made a video, which is probably where I got it from. Um, gotcha. But no, I would assume I don't. That's a great question. Like, how do they tear through the ice? there's ice at that time i don't know clearly i've thought about the logistics here <laughs> so with skiing and uh what what other outdoor sports are you into because i was going to have you talk a little bit about uh just advice for people looking to get into skiing or get into whatever else it is that you're into just kind of little tidbits of advice totally um so my i'd say my main my winter life is totally around snowboarding and slipboarding yeah. Um, I would say in terms of getting into snowboarding, there's like so many places to find used gear now. Um, but I would probably recommend taking lessons or having a great friend who's very good at teaching. Um, I think Burton at one point had a campaign, which was like, friends don't let friends teach friends how to snowboard. Um, mostly because a lot of people don't teach well. Um, but I mean, I think now more than ever, there's so many different like avenues for finding used gear or rental gear. You know, you can even do year or like season long leases. You can even buy gear where you do monthly payments. Um, so like not letting the gear piece be the intimidating part. Um, then we run into the accessibility problem of like resorts. So yeah. I would always encourage people to link up through the communities. You know, there's tons of different groups for people like the base camp group, but even more localized groups where it's like, Hey, I live in Portland. I'd like to go skiing a bachelor. Is anyone driving? Where could I stay? Um, really just tapping into a community and seeing what's available because um, I think a lot of people are way more willing to host than we assume. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes in to like backcountry knowledge, um, I really recommend being educated. You know, I've done my area, area one and companion rescue. I'll be doing my area two next year, um, which can be unaffordable, but more and more organizations and companies are banding together to start offering scholarships and access. Um, there's even a few um, AMGA guides that are offering like online courses and webinars. Um, so for me, it's, it's like being as resourceful as you can be to keep the costs low. Um, I think that's a big key part. 
I'm a terrible mountain biker, but I do that as well. I'm, I'm basically learning how to not be a perfectionist, which is like a lifelong journey. So I'm learning how to mountain bike. Um, I like the downhill part. I'm not as good as the uphill part. So I guess get fit would be my tip for that one. Um, and I'm learning how to climb. I'm not great at climbing either. And I'm learning how to whitewater kayak. So really my biggest piece of advice is find the people who are excited to bring you in. And when they say that they want to take you, believe them and design how you want that time to go because, you know, you, you guys can co-create that space to learn. That's yeah. all I got really. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so yeah. And if there's not anything else, that's pretty much it for the question. So like I said, this is kind of the end here, unless you have something cool. else that you will kind of want to touch on or kind of expand on. If not, then. No, that's, awesome. that's kind of it. Thank you so much yeah, for, no problem. for being so courageous and bold and inviting people along your journey. And, um, it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation and to kind of get a sense of what your story is as well yeah. and what brought you out to Denver and, um, and like the outdoors community really appreciates you, you taking this step to share people's stories because, um, a lot of us, you know, I was nominated by somebody in, in my network and, uh, a lot of us aren't courageous enough to say yes <laughs> the first time. So thank you for yeah. creating the space to do that. Yeah, I, I just love hearing people's stories. Like I said, it's it's awesome how unique each of our because I've I've yet to hear someone have the same mm. kind of oh this that that and it's like it's always convoluted, different routes, different. I did this first, then I did this, and then someone else could have done this first and this, or it's just everyone's journey is just so different. And some people started when they were like five or two. And other people started when they were like 20s and it's it's awesome just hearing all the uniqueness and diversity of those paths into the outdoor community from everybody it's i've always kind of done it before but then i kind of i was like you know that that would be just a really cool thing to kind of be able to share with people so but yeah, yeah I, I appreciate having you on i appreciate all the stories that i get to hear so thank you very much Thank you. And that's the end of the episode. So I will see everyone else next week. Thank you very much and have a great day.